Hello and welcome to Reflex Point, your weekly podcast where we review and discuss the series Robotech one episode at a time. We're your hosts, Major Medina. And I'm Paul Marquez. And this week, Reflex Point is once again incredibly lucky to be able to start the show with an amazing guest. You've seen her in films like Mouse Hunt, Doc Hollywood, as well as on television shows like True Blood and Big Love. In addition to that, she is a writer, director, producer, and for 25 years, she was Lady Luck for the Virginia State Lottery. But Robotech fans will recognize her as the voice of two of the most beloved characters of the series. First, she was the woman who executed Captain Global's orders to the bridge crew of the SDF-1, and then she was that mysterious stranger our freedom fighters found in the new generation. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our absolute honor to be joined by the woman who voiced both Lisa Hayes and Marlene, Melanie McQueen. Melanie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. And I know the crowd is going wild. I can hear the thunderous applause from here. There it is. <laughs> Melanie, we cannot express what a joy it is to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you. Absolutely. And Lisa has always been one of our favorite characters, and even more so as we've rewatched the series for the podcast. Um, we've definitely given her MVP status on many an episode. <laughs> Sober or drunk, huh? <laughs> We're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> So, Melanie, before we start peppering you with our fanboy questions, we'd like to ask, with COVID and capital riots and all this stuff, how are you doing in these trying times? Uh, well, just like everybody, I guess, we're just doing the best we can. Luckily, um, I think this is a time when a lot of people are discovering that whomever they are quarantining with, that whether or not they, they get along with them, or um, whether or not that relationship is solid, or whatever it is. My husband and I have been together for well over 30 years, and uh, we have discovered that, well, we're good, you know? Oh, that's great. We actually can take each other's company in what's turned out to be massive doses, and um, so um, that's good. Also, um, Unfortunately and fortunately, both, my mother turned 100 in July. Wow, congratulations. Yes, thank you. I don't think she's totally aware that she's 100, but she is. And um, so through a, a series of things that happened over the summer, she is now living with us. So the other major thing that is taking up uh, my time, our time, is taking care of my mom. And uh, so that has been, you know, a further challenge. But we've been doing that. We've also been um, doing things with our theater company online, obviously, trying to keep morale up. Uh, the things we've been doing with the seminars, etc., that we teach, our theater appreciation seminars, have been getting grant money. Mm -hmm. Because uh, around here, uh, they've been going, okay, who is doing stuff during COVID? Who is still doing productions during COVID? Who's doing anything in COVID? If you're doing something, if you're producing content of some kind, then we'll maybe give you grant money. Well, well I had just started doing that list of seminars just to keep up our morale, but it turned out the grant people were like, oh, no, that's good. We'll give you money. So I'm like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll do more of that then. Right. You know? And, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, over the summer, a major thing that I did was 
I, I did a lot of reading about racial injustice. I did a lot of, and I so I would not annoy, annoy any of my black friends with questions about, oh, is this so, why is so awful to be black? Oh my God, I didn't realize. Right. You know, which they probably were like, oh, good grief, please don't talk to us about this. It's like, we already know it was a problem. Right, right. You know, so please go away and educate yourself. So I didn't want to be annoying like that. So I was, you know, trying to educate myself on that. And you may know, the hundredth anniversary of women getting the vote was this last August. Yes, and uh, so I had read a book uh, called The Woman's Hour, which had to do with the the last minute struggle in Tennessee to get the last state to ratify the vote for women. Mm-hmm. And so I was so inspired by it, I got permission of the author to write it into a dramatization, and I dramatized it. Got about twenty of my friends. And we did a Zoom production of the Women's Hour to celebrate the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote, which was, yeah, which was something I loved doing. It was very, you know, well, it's kind of marked this occasion somehow. And it's so important right now to remember how hard it is to get the vote, to, you know, how people fought so hard to get it. She didn't even have it. My mom was born in 1920, and she was born before women had the vote. And then a month later, women had the vote. You know, that's how recently women were disenfranchised completely from having the vote. And then, of course, there were many other groups who still didn't have the vote or couldn't exercise their rights correctly to to vote. And um, so I thought it was very important to do that. Oh, that's So that is what what I have been doing over the past few months, basically. Well, it's so great that, especially during this time, you you found a way to be inspired still by reading that book and studying and doing that research inspired so much so to, to lead to creativity, which it has been, you know, this show in terms of Paul and I, we're by no means professionals. We've never done podcasts before, but this little bit of creativity we get to do every week uh, has helped us quite a bit. Good. I imagine that must be on, on such a grander scale to put together a production on something that, that inspired you. Well, everybody's doing, everybody's out of their comfort zone. And in some ways, that's the, the silver lining of all of this, mm-hmm. if it can be said to have one. We've all had to stop and take stock of what's really important. We've all had to stop and look at what is really going on in our country, whereas we may have just been, oh, I'm too busy to think about that. Okay, well, whatever, it's happening. I've got stuff to do. Right. You know, and now, um, but we've all had to be forced to stop and take a look at the world and what's going on in it. And yes, that's been desperately, desperately sad for so many people, people losing their jobs, people losing their lives, and that's awful. But at the same time, the upside of it has been that we had to really, really examine some things that we have been putting off examining closely. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and just to allay any fears, I, I'll let you know, it's a Robotech podcast, but that was 35 years ago. You know, details and... In, in Melanie, in episode 34, you said that, you know, that kind of thing's not really our thing. What we want to know is just get to know the people behind the voices of the characters that we love so much. Okay, good. And with that, let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up? I was born in Texas, El Paso, Texas, but I don't remember anything about it because my parents took me away to live in Butte, Montana for several years. My dad was a mining engineer and he worked in the Berkeley Pit, the infamous place that is now a a super fun site where geese will die if they touch the water. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
we lived there till I was nine, and then we moved. Um, I'm asthmatic, and I was born with asthma, and so I always had breathing problems. And uh, I couple of went, the doctors said that to my parents that I probably wouldn't live another year if they didn't move me to a warmer climate. So they were going to send me to a school in Tucson, Arizona okay. for asthmatics. And I was literally packing to go. I, my suitcase was packed. My mom was having a breakdown. And my father managed to, with connections and friends of his who were helping, to get us transferred to get him a job in Inspiration, a little mining town called Inspiration, Arizona. And we moved there all together instead of uh, my having to go to school by myself in Tucson as, as a nine-year-old girl. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, and they never stopped thanking me because, I mean, Montana's a beautiful state. It's gorgeous, but it's especially then very cold mm-hmm. a lot of the year. Mm-hmm. And well, we were they were so happy to be fought out. You know, they were like, oh, thank you for making us move to Arizona. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So we lived there until uh, until I uh, started high school, and then we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where my father uh, was working for the Bureau of Land Management, and he worked there till his death in 1981. So I went to high school, and I went to uh, college at Arizona State University, and then I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Pasadena when it was located there, and um, that pretty much the story of how I grew up. Wow. Awesome. And Melanie, what drew you to acting? Well, uh, my father always used to call me Sarah Heartburn uh, because (laughs) (laughs) I was a little ham from the get-go and it was super dramatic. You know, if if my parents gave me a present I really liked, I would pretend to faint. You know, (laughs) I mean, I I was, uh, oh my God, there she goes again. And, um, you know, I, one of my only memories from kindergarten was I got to play Peter Rabbit in the kindergarten play. And that was, I was all over that. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I always loved it, but I also was an artist. I also drew and painted from an early age. I also wrote from an early age. There were a lot of things I liked to do. And when I was in high school, I didn't get in. I was, yeah, I got one part. I got one part. I got to play Gretel in, in Hansel and Gretel. Okay. And then I never got cast again in any of the school plays. And my teacher, my drama teacher, with whom I'm still in, in touch, she lives in Hawaii, told me she thought I was amazingly talented, but she had, she said, I had every single extremely talented student that I ever had was all in your class oh. at one time. And I could not use all of you. All of you were really good. And I had, she said, I never again had a class that had that many great people in it once. I couldn't use all of you. So I, even though I knew she loved me and thought it was really good and I got a first place medal at the state speech uh, competition and all of that, I thought to myself that what she was telling me in a nice way was, Melanie, you just don't. Well, for one thing, you're just not pretty enough. All the really pretty girls got those, you know, the lead roles and everything. And I was, you know, not unattractive, but I was not really pretty. And I thought, well, I guess the thing is you really have to be very pretty if you want to be an actress. So um, I I went into college and uh, became an art major and was going into advertising design, at which I was pretty good, but not great. You know, I really wasn't into designing cat food cans all that much, you know. And Okay. 
Uh, and I also was in the writing program. I, I wrote plays, and it was, and my writing teachers were very supportive. They were like, you should write. You should be a writer. This is, and, but I thought to myself, and I was also acting at the same time. I was taking theater classes. And I made a decision and said to myself, Melanie, what is your personality like? Are you someone who can be off by yourself writing for hours and hours at a time and never, you know, and be by yourself constantly and with other people hardly at all? Is that who you are? Is that who you can be? And I said to myself, no, (laughs) I cannot be that person. I'm way too extroverted and I need to be with people. And yes, I love to write. And I, and I did, I kept writing over the years, but my main thing is to do things with other people, to be, in groups of people and doing creative things with other people. And so I switched my focus to theater and I thought, well, maybe I'm no good. Maybe I just, you know, haven't, maybe I'm never going to cast the not so pretty girl. But as soon as I switched my focus, it was like the universe was saying, yes, that, that you should have done that. Wow. That's what you should have been doing. Yes. And I started getting roles and plays and, and you know, it all just started falling in place. So how did you have the, the wherewithal so young to know, well, first with the, with the uh, with advertising and design, that that wasn't your passion. That writing certainly wasn't your passion. Like I, I just I don't know. I didn't have those kind of thoughts back then. I, I sure wish I did, though. Well, I, I one of the things they always ask actors is if you hadn't done what you did with your life, what would have been another uh, path you would have chosen? Mm-hmm. And a lot of actors, and this is not me, but a lot of actors would say, I would have been a psychologist or psychiatrist. And the reason being that actors have to, one of the things you have to do is learn to look at yourself and examine your own motives and examine your own feelings and examine why you feel the way you feel and that kind of thing. Otherwise, you can't, you can't do characters well because you have to be able to dissect their feelings and their motives. And if you can't do that with yourself at all, then you're probably not going to be all that good of an actor. Right. Now, even though I didn't want to be a psychologist, I think from a very early age, and also as an only child, and only children, you know, they become their own best friend in a way. You have you have to be. You have to be with yourself, right. and you have to talk to yourself and get yourself through things. You don't have siblings to bounce off of in that regard. So um, I think I was always asking myself about, well, what do you want, or what do you do? It's not that my parents pressured me, that my parents were very much of the 50s. They expected I was going to get married and have kids. And maybe I would, you know, paint, like my Aunt Louise, I would paint pictures that would decorate hotel rooms once in a while. That would be something nice as a sideline. You know, but that, in terms of a career, that's not the way they thought. So I had to really motivate myself in that direction. But but I always seem to do that. I always seem to be checking in with myself on a regular basis. What's going on with you? Why are you doing this? What's happening here? Do you really want to do this? How about that? You know, that kind of thing. Right. Wow. That's, that's incredible. You know, speaking about that, <laughs> now, now you, you have theater training and I know, you know, both Lisa and, and Marlene have large emotional ranges uh, throughout the series. What's your process or what was your process for getting, I guess, to those extremes? Cause I know you're reading one line at a time and you know, it may not be the full story that, you, that you're getting and, and you have a voice director or a coach or the director of the episode, right. but what, right. how, do you, how do you get there, I guess, is what I'm asking. Well, um, yeah, you're right. A lot of times, especially when you're talking about the kind of acting that you're talking about, 
doing a play is very different or doing even a, a role on film is very different than doing a voice work because as you said it was often out of context to say okay here's where uh lisa is doing this now do i uh, had i even seen the rest of the episode no right you know i was seeing the por- the parts that i was in now my director would often give me enough okay uh you're 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 upset here because da 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 da, and I would get a little feedback from the director about what was going on, but but very minimal. So I think a lot of my acting in and voice acting and Robotech, a lot of it was technical in terms of, uh, and I would also do a lot of it with physicality. You were very seldom seeing me sitting. Okay. In when I was in front of the microphone, I was almost always standing because I would do things with my body physically in order to put tension into my body where I needed it. Yes. I would clench my fist, you know, next to my stuff. No one's going to see this, you know, but it helps. It does things to your voice when you, you tense your muscles and, and you, um, you know, grind your jaw or whatever it is that you need to do to get that tension. And then I always remember Greg Snagoff was one of my... <laughs> favorite directors. He was so fun. <laughs> and, you know, especially when I was in some sort of, Lisa was in some sort of turmoil, which she often was. <laughs> yes. Um, it would be, it would be like, okay, Melanie, from your ass, from your ass, come on, do it from your ass, you know. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> this is not the G-rated version of Robert. No. And, you know, because, you know, you know, clench, you know, clench and push and, you know, kind of like you're giving birth kind of thing. And, uh, so, yeah, so I did a lot of things physically. And also, of course, I'd go off, if I was lucky enough to, uh, as they say in acting, half of acting is reacting. Sure. So what you do, the best actors listen well. They listen to what the other actor is doing or saying because your your performance is going to be very much based on what you're getting. And if they're not there, if they're not there to give it to you, then sometimes it was going to be a mismatch. And I think occasionally it was because what maybe I was reacting to, I'd see it on the screen. I'd see the, the characters, the drawing of the character, mm-hmm. and I could guess maybe how they were going to sound, but I didn't know because maybe it wasn't recorded yet. So it was always better for me if I already had Rick in my ear. You know, he'd already recorded. Sure. If I already had Min May, I could listen to her. If I already had Captain Global, I already had them to react off of, and I could react, not just act, because that's much stronger acting than just acting in a voice, which often, unfortunately, in voice acting, you sometimes have to do. Okay, Melanie, so how, how is it that you came to, to be at Inner Sound? Um, well, that's uh, having to do with a friendship, as so many things do. When To back up a little bit, one of the first things I did out here in California was I did uh, the Garden Grove Shakespeare Festival okay. in the uh, summer of 81, a million years ago. And I came and did Titania and Midsummer Night's Dream and Audrey and As You Like It in rep. And one of the uh, gals, uh, there, our costume designer, Camille, she and I made friends. Well, I made several friends, but she was a friend who said to me, Melanie, if you ever decide you'd like to come out to LA from Arizona, you can stay with me, you know, for a while while you, you know, get a place or whatever, because uh, you should move out here. And so I did. And the thing is that Tammy worked at Intersound. 
she was like one of the receptionists. Oh, wow. And I, I went there, I went there to uh, get her for a lunch date. Mm-hmm. And we were going to go out to lunch together. And she said, you know, we're doing this this, this uh, audition, you know, if I could do this, this thing, it's called dubbing. And, you know, and, and I could slip you into it. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about about dubbing. And she said, well, yeah, come on. And I can say, so she slipped me into this audition. <laughs> they would want to use me. And the thing is that it was a large role, a very, very, it was like a lead role that they wanted, but it was a live action. It wasn't anime. It was okay. a live action thing. And I think the reason I got it was because I did a section where it was voiceover. I didn't have to match my my lips to anything. You know, I, it was a voiceover of what the actress was thinking. Okay. And so I did the voiceover, and they're like, yeah, you're good. We want you. And I said, well, and I said, uh, I have never done this before. <laughs> and I really am pretty sure I would let you down. I'm so sorry. But I they really appreciated my honesty, and they gave me a smaller part in it and gave the other larger part to somebody else who did know what she was doing. And then I got to know the people around their sound, and they started slipping me in on auditions, and, and I started to get work in a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different small and also larger parts, and I basically learned as I was doing it how to do it. And most of that was going on at Intersound. Some of it was going on at Saban and, and some other places, but mostly it was Intersound. That is an incredible confluence of events to get you to Intersound <laughs> and, and eventually on to Robotech. Wow. Yes, which we, we owe your friend a big thanks for what it allegedly what it, uh, finally turned out to Yeah, you. is there an edible arrangement we can send to her? <laughs> 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 well, she was a very good friend. I mean, she let me stay with her and until I got a place and, uh, you know, and I, you knew when you were moving to a big city, I mean, I moved to LA and I was like, oh my God, it's huge, you know, it's huge and it's dirty, there's trash all over the streets and that guy thought I was a prostitute when I was walking down the street because I was walking by myself. I was like, no, I will not, no, I do not want to work for you, get away from me. <laughs> So, so yeah, so it was very scary, and she did a big favor to me, and uh, and a lot of people that I had worked with in the Shakespeare Festival that I'd made friends with, they all rallied around and and helped me get part time jobs and pointed me towards agents and lots of things. So. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, well, actors get kind of a bad rap in a way that we're all selfish and self involved and. And we can be, that's true, but we also can be incredibly supportive of each other. And that's been mostly my experience. So, Yeah, that's great. And, and specifically speaking for when you're recording Robotech, I have a couple mm-hmm. of questions on that. First, did you have the early or the late shift? Oh, both, both. But my voice tended to be about an octave deeper in the morning. So it was like, if you, unless you want me to sound like Simone Signoret, then, you know, you better not both me at like 8 a.m., you sure. know. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I generally would be the late shift. I always preferred the late shift. And also I often had day jobs and things I was doing during the day and trying to go on auditions during the day. And a lot of people didn't want to work at like 1 a.m., you know, right. because that was just not. Uh, but I'm a night owl and I always have been. So I'm like, fine, 1 a.m., no problem, no problem, I'll do it. And how long did you actually work on Robotech? God, geez, I don't know. A uh, couple of years off and on, something like that. Yeah, maybe it was longer. 
maybe a little bit, I'm not really sure, you know, all that, because I was not just doing Robotech, I was doing other projects, I was going in and out of studios and doing other things. You realize at that time, we didn't know that Robotech was going to be that big of a deal, you know, it was just another project, you know, and and it was kind of a shock to the system when we thought, oh oh my God, people really like this? Wow, okay. So... Okay, well, yeah, which leads to uh, the next question. When did you discover that Robotech was so popular? Let's see. Well, I started to get intimations of it from uh, other actors. It's like, oh, no, this is really taking off. People are really liking it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's nice. And then they sent us to a convention in New York. Mm-hmm. And I, I, went in, I went in there and there was this giant robot in the middle, I mean, giant, like a couple of stories high, I think, in the middle of the floor, and I sat down at a desk and started to sign autographs, and I signed autographs, and I signed autographs, and I signed autographs, <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck is going on here, you know? And I was like, okay, this seems to be, people are really, oh my God, okay. And I, I gosh, I, and if you ask me what, when that was exactly, I couldn't tell you because a lot, I do remember it was in the winter because it was snowing. I got to the hotel and uh, I got there very late from the, I got there about four in the morning and I had to get up at seven to go be on the, be on the floor. So I was exhausted, but I stood and looked out the window and there's all this beautiful, gentle snow falling on New York, you know, before it looks all ugly and slushy and icky like it's going to look in a couple of days. But right then it was like, oh. It's like a fairyland out there, and uh, so I know it was in the winter sometime. That's just got to be the weirdest feeling ever. In fact, it, what, it was. what's it like to be an action figure? That was so, I don't think I stopped <laughs> laughing. I was like, no way. <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, I was like, okay, well, um, she looks better than I ever will, <laughs> so, you know, and she's, like, going to look that way forever, which is really cool, you know, so, <laughs> right. she's eternally youthful, eternally youthful, that's, that's it's kind of cool to do something where, you know, you're frozen in time, and you're always going to look great, that's, that's terrific. <laughs> so, around, around the time of Robotech, you were founding a theater, right, the Theater of Note in Los Angeles? Theater of Yes, the New One Act Theater Ensemble, with some of my friends that I had met at the Shakespeare Festival the summer before I moved to uh, to uh, L.A. And, uh, yeah, I was one of the founding members, and I directed shows there. I was in shows there. I produced shows there, and uh, it was one of those struggling. And we were down in the heart of L.A. on 3rd Street and Boyd when we first opened up Mm -hmm. and you know we were always finding homeless people sleeping outside our theater and uh and we used to go to this little russian place down there after after we got out of rehearsals the only place that was open late at night was called gorky's and we'd have borscht like in the middle of the night you know yeah (laughs) uh and it was wonderfully creative and supportive and um uh, my good friend Kevin Carr ran the the theater uh, along with my friend Kitty Selby, who later became a journalist and is here in in Los Angeles. Uh, on she did a show called Cock of the City, mm-hmm. and um, Jim Shindell and Gary Lamb, other friends of mine that I have kept over the years, and we all uh, 
we all did theater. I painted the sign. I used my art talent. I painted the sign <laughs> over the theater. Right, right. Just keep it. Yeah. So many, so many irons in the fire at that time, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I I was trying to, you know, start my acting career on film as well. I mean, try to get it on camera. I was doing more and more uh, voice work, but even that back then, that did not pay very well at all. It was nice to have it, but it didn't pay all the bills by any means. So I was trying to get commercial work, which mm-hmm. I did eventually get, you know, uh, a good commercial agent. And I started to work a lot of commercials and I did more theater and did some writing, you know, uh, eventually I did wrote a couple of musicals, which I put up here in town. And uh, yeah. Wow. So, Melanie, I can't help but bring up uh, your, your popular and long-running role as Lady Luck for the Virginia State ah. Lottery. <laughs> yes. Can you tell me what the fan base of, of Lady Luck was like? Wow. Oh, wow. Lady Luck. They were very uh, different. I mean, different, all across the board. I mean, I would go to um, – they had me go on tours around the state as well as some of the commercials. And I would go to like maybe uh, a horse show with, you know, wine cocktails and, you know, everyone was very, very, you know, in Virginia. And and then I would go to, uh, you know, the strawberry festival where people were having pie eating contests, you know, and uh, yeah. uh, and the gun show was next door, which I didn't want to go to. And, you know, uh, you know, it was I had people come down out of the hills and they would say to me, I remember one seven eleven I went to. And he took me aside and said, you know, he took a bath in order to meet you. <laughs> I was like, oh, baby, well, that's no. <laughs> so not unlike Robotech fans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, every level of education and sophistication and, you know, very all the way from down home hill people to, you know, people who... Uh, went to wine festivals and things like that. So, yes, and um, and the governor, I would met various governors and, you know, and they would take me up to Washington. Back then, they would take me up to Washington and Maryland a lot because the, the commercials were played. I went to the Pentagon, you know, wow. and, uh, yeah, they turned me around the Pentagon a couple of times, and I joked with one general I met. I said, <laughs> he said, no, you didn't mean Yes, young lady, you are not allowed in the room. I said, "Will you have to kill me?" And he said, "Yes, I would." <laughs> and he, looked, he looked at me so seriously. I thought, "God, oh, maybe he means it." You know? so, yeah. So I I met every kind of very much with them, and it's interesting the military connection too, because military people, just like Robotech, I would find my Lisa's picture would be in somebody's locker in in one branch of the military or other. And uh, and oh, wow. and also um, Lady Luck's picture because you know Luck <laughs> doesn't need Luck when you're in the military. Right. Lady Luck's picture would be up somewhere in there. So I was there, I was there's a lot of crossover there. I was very popular with the military because uh, well Robotech and and what it's like and also Lady Luck because they always wanted Luck. That's yeah. incredible. If I had a, if I had been in the Air Force, there would have been Lady Luck painted on my plane for sure. <laughs> and would you get like little wand stickers for each uh, plane you shot down or something? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I wanted to take an aside real quick. 
Um, Paul and I do this podcast, and it can be somewhat of an echo chamber at times. So we reached out to friend of the show, Crystal Ollinger, who is a Lisa Hayes cosplayer, and she gave us a couple of questions that she was hoping we could ask you if that would be all right. Sure, sure. So she wanted to know, what are your thoughts on the Rick, Lisa, Minmay love triangle? Well, first of all, um, I'm friends with uh, Becky, who who played Minmay, and uh, I thought she was adorable, and uh, we were always friends off of the off screen, as it were. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. And uh, the, But I was kind of happy that the intelligent woman, the intelligent career woman <laughs> was the one who won out over the... Uh, I'll be an adorable little songstress, you know. Sure. Um, I, I just, yeah, I was, I was definitely in my character's corner. So, so maybe I would have been the other way if I had been playing Min May. But, uh, but I, I was, I've always been something of a feminist anyway, long before I even played the character. So I'm like, okay, all right, this gal's in charge. She knows what she's doing. She takes no guff. I like this. And I even didn't like the scenes where ever Lisa would like break down into tears and I'm like, oh God, all right, <laughs> I've got to do this. Okay, and um, so so yeah, I, I was very much on my on my character side, and I thought that Rick made the right choice. I agree, and you know we had uh, <laughs> Rebecca on the show, and I wish I had asked her the same question because I want to know if if she had the view of he should have gone for mid May. <laughs> Well, then they's got a lot going for her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she's a doll. I mean, she's a doll and very charming and sweet. And so, you know, never want to diss uh, my friend Becky, even in her Min May persona. <laughs> <laughs> We've also been lucky enough to talk to Greg. And so one question I have, when you guys were all together, when the cast was all together, who was the funniest and who was the most serious? Um... Richard Epcar always loved to kid, kid around. Uh, I mean, he worked very seriously, but he loved to, to kid around. He was very playful. And um, let's see, uh, Cam Clark. Cam Clark. Well, Cam Clark and I knew each other from, from doing other shows together. Oh, really? So even though I was, I, yeah, we did other anime things together. So even though I wasn't um, usually around when he was doing his stuff in Robotech, mm-hmm. You know, we see each other coming and going in the halls or, or whatever, or we'd be working on something else together and, and run into each other. And Cam was always very playful and fun. Uh, most serious? God, about one in the morning, I'm not sure how serious any of us were, um, <laughs> except the sound. The sound engineers were like, all right, you guys stop messing around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we need to get those sounds. Um, Bob Barron was very focused, very serious, but he also had a, a a very wicked sense of humor too. Um, they were all such fun people. I, I had a good time with all of them. So when I was able to be with them, we weren't always able, you know, to be with each other. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. Uh, going back to, uh, uh, fans. Um, how do you feel meeting female fans? You know, we talked about the lady luck stuff and, and, uh, and Robotech fans. Um, I'm not saying there aren't, they aren't out there. It's just, uh, it seemed to me that it's few and far between. Was that your experience as well? Um, yeah, for the most part. I did meet, I, mean, I, I always, see, my, I, myself, I am a big sci-fi fan. Mm-hmm. I love, I've always loved science fiction. And, um, 
you know, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and uh, I could have Asimov, and you, you name it. There's tons of people that I read and like, and I love science fiction. So uh, I always was kind of a little bit the odd one out as a as a girl, because I always read science fiction as a girl, and very few of my fellow females did that. Not some of them did, but a lot of them did not. So I, I certainly have a lot of sympathy for, you know, and empathy with girls who, you know, find themselves in the minority mm-hmm. uh, as, as being, you know, fans of Robotech or any science fiction show. Although I do think it's become more mainstream. I do think that more girls and more women are are being out and proud yeah, <laughs> about being sci-fi fans and right. going, hey, I like this stuff too. You guys don't get to have it all to yourself, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So have you ever met anybody dressed as uh, as Lisa or? I have several times. I have. I was usually being rushed from one place to another, so I didn't usually get to do more than say hi to them. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that I act, actually know any of them to, you know, point out. But I did have, I did have someone who was cosplaying as Lisa. I went to one convention, and she just sat next to me and gazed adoringly at me. Ever pretty, and, and it was kind of creeping me out a little bit. <laughs> you know? I was like, okay. She didn't say anything. She just stared at me, and and she looked good. She looked wonderful. She looked nice. She looked up like that. Looked good. That's good. She looks good. And she's she's doing me proud. She looks good. But I actually one of the guys who was running it to us like, you know, she's going to do that. Should we do you want us to get her away? And I said, no, no, yes, she's not. She's not hurting anything. If she wants to sit there and look at me, let her sit there and look at me. She's not hurting anything. So, yeah, but that was a little creepy only because she said nothing to me. She just stared at me adoringly. And I think if we'd had a conversation, I would have been you know, okay with that, but right. she just looked at me and I was like, what is she thinking? <laughs> I'm starting to get a little, a little freaked out. <laughs> well, I assure you we're, we're halfway normal, but when we got your response on email, we stared at it for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> so we're currently, or, or we just passed the 35 year anniversary of Robotech. Merciful God, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I I saw you on uh, on Cam Clark's Cam's Corner with the with the original yeah. members, which was a delight. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on on Robotech staying power? Well, I I think that they don't they reimagine everything under the sun, especially if it was ever very popular, even with a sort of a niche group. Yes. I mean, um, I would imagine that Robotech could always be. Updated, reinvented, uh, keeping the the parts that everybody likes the most, and um, I would imagine it would have a fair amount of staying power, at least with a, a fairly big group of people. But I I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm no programming executive. I don't really know for sure. But I would think it would have staying power. Yeah, well, you know, it's 35 years later, and and Paul and I are still talking about it. You know, it's a niche group. <laughs> We're small but proud. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. Melanie, I I can't thank you enough for your time uh, and being so generous with us. I want to give you the opportunity. Let us know uh, how we can find you, what you're doing right now, how people can get in touch, if if that's something you want to give. Uh, Oh, well, um, 
most of everything that I'm doing now is through my theater group. So if you want, you could go to theater40.org. And that's theater spelled with an R-E-P-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org. A, a theater 440.org, not 40 spelled out. Theater40.org. And, uh, let, you know, let, let people know that you are interested in, like, maybe attending one of our seminars, you know, watching one of our play readings. And sometimes I'm in the play readings. Other times I, I direct them. I do a lot of directing over there. But I'm not really, I'm sort of retired and I don't do all that much at the moment, but that could change at any point. You know, I, uh, I don't never say never about a lot of things, but, yeah. um, Right now, I'm just kind of in a holding pattern, like like many people. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. No, we will we will check out Theater Forty. We'll be there on Monday. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. So, uh, if you like, I'll, I'll I'll send you keep you in the loop, and you can feel free to share that with uh, whomever you think might enjoy it. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Again. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. You've made oh, a sure. couple of fanboy dreams come true tonight. Oh, aren't you sweet? Well, that's very kind of you. I bet. Thank you for indulging me um, in terms of, um, I think, my God, Melanie, what a motor mouth you are today. Oh. Well, I am a voice actress. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, gentlemen. More than we could have hoped for. Thank you yes. so much. Melanie, it's okay. been an absolute pleasure. Stay safe. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you so much. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We want to thank Melanie McQueen once again for coming on and for being so giving of her time. Again, you can find Melanie at theater40.org. And we want to give a special thanks to our friend Crystal Ollinger for helping us out with the interview. You can find Crystal in her Lisa Hayes uniform as well as many others on Instagram at crimsoncami underscore cosplay. Dude, she sounds just like Lisa. She does sound just like Lisa, right? <laughs> oh, my God.